0: Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a popular notion among humans, people, that we make a decision for Christ. Some Christians, both preachers and laymen, have embraced this idea and they encourage others to make a decision for Christ. You'll hear this in certain circles Um, Some more than others. Leave behind your evil ways and follow Christ, they say. In some churches, this concept is manifested by way of the altar call. Have you been in a church before where there was an altar call? Sinners are invited to come to the altar and profess their repentance and receive the new life. A life where they're sanctified in Christ. Sort of a holy roller uh, sort of mentality, you know? Like we will ourselves to, to follow God. And, and, uh, and this is the confession that we, that we are called to make at this altar call. Obviously, we're not opposed to altar calls here. We have altar calls every Sunday. You are called forward to the altar to receive Christ's body and blood. And this is our altar call. This is the altar call. But this altar call is not dependent upon the strength of your faith. It's dependent upon the object of your faith, which is Christ. See, your faith will never be strong enough. But even the weakest faith that turns to Christ is saving faith because Christ is strong enough. That's the object of your faith. It's important to understand this concept. In our Old Testament lesson from Ezekiel, you see the repetition as God says over and over again. I, I myself. Those are God's words. He's taking this. He's saying, I will do all of these things. And there is something to this repetition. I mean, it, comes, it does come across in the English as it should. I, I myself, it sounds repetitive, but it's reinforcing this, that it is God himself who will do this. Yes, though God be high above us in heaven, he will condescend to us. He will do this dirty work that's necessary on his own. He will condescend to do this work. He himself will do the dirty work of seeking and saving the lost. The psalmist uh, declares, as we heard and read this morning, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. And then begs of God, seek your servant. That prayer, it will be answered. Jesus Has the mantle. Jesus owns this. He says, I will do this. I will condescend to do this, to seek and to save the lost. Now, for a man centered religion, or the, the technical term would be anthropocentric, for an anthropocentric religion, we can't make sense of this condescension. It just doesn't sound right. You hear this in the secular world. If you listen to um, like the, athe- the people who are apologists for atheism and so forth, they'll say, this doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, God uh, comes down to earth, takes the sin upon himself, but it's the son who takes the sin. And-, and why would God do that? You know, if he's so far above and high above us, why would he do that? It just doesn't make sense to the natural man. In fact, uh, I think it was Richard Dawkins who actually said, this is cosmic child abuse, you know, what happens with Jesus. So the natural man doesn't understand that. The natural man says, God, stay up there where you belong. You stay up there. And then with pride and arrogance, the natural man builds himself up. No, God, I will lift myself up to heaven. How will I do that? I will do that through virtuous living. I will do that by feeding the poor. I will do that by observing all of God's law. You you notice I said the natural man. And and you think, but isn't that what Christians do? Yeah, that's the natural man that is within us that says, I'm going to do all of these things because I'm going to build myself up to God. I'm going to ascend to God. Rather than hearing that God says, I I, I myself will do this. I will condescend to do this. The natural man says, Thank you, God. Thank you that, that I am not like this man, a tax collector and a sinner. Thank you. It's pride, it's arrogance. He says, He will do, He will succeed. He might ask for a little help on the way. Sometimes, you, you know, the, the natural man might ask for a little help. They feel like, you know, I'm basically keeping the law. I mean, I'm doing a pretty good job. I haven't murdered anyone. I don't steal. I do pay my taxes. I go and help out the homeless shelter and whatever else, you know. But God, there's this, this one thing I, I struggle with, whatever it is. I struggle with, you name the sin. Name the sin, whatever it might be. Oh, but God, can you just help me with that? Because if I could just break that one sin, then, then I would be set free. Then I would be keeping all of God's law because I'm keeping most of it, but like this little bit over here, I'm not quite keeping. So God, help me within that area. That's, that is crossing into something that's, that's like um, uh, the, the technical term would be synergism. Okay, you have monergism, which is, which is this notion, which the Bible teaches, which God does the work. Okay, that's what I, I myself will do this. That's what it means. It means God will do it for you. But then you have synergism, which is like, well, God will sort of show us the way, but then we'll we'll go that extra step and make a decision for Christ, right? Make a decision for Christ. That's something I'm doing. Now, I get it. I understand like it's hard because we think, but haven't I? confessed my sins here this morning? Isn't that something I've done? And and the answer is, yes, you have. But then the question is, why have you done it? Why have you done it? Is it because the natural man inside of you said, boy, I really need to confess my sins? Or is it because God has worked faith in you and brought that about? See, that's the question. Synergism or monergism? Is it God alone doing this work or is it God and me working together in partnership to do this? And Jesus answers that question in the gospel lesson today. Naturally, Jesus is being criticized for not only receiving, but actually eating with tax collectors and sinners. And eating with them in that culture was definitely a mark of, of fellowship. I mean, this was close fellowship he was having with them. What kind of a respectable man would eat with such people and receive them in fellowship? Jesus then gave three parables addressed both to the disciples who were there to learn from him and follow him and also to the Pharisees. as well as the scribes. The scribes and the Pharisees were criticizing him. That's okay, he's going to give them a lesson too. Everyone gets a lesson today. The first two parables are the ones that are recorded in our gospel lesson from today. So we start out with the sheep. There's a hundred sheep. One gets lost. The shepherd leaves 99 to find the one that was lost. When found, the shepherd rejoices he rejoices to have found the sheep. And what does he do? He picks it up, lays it on his shoulders, and carries it back. And then what does he do? He calls everyone, come on in, let's celebrate. I have found the one sheep that was lost. Think about this sheep. I mean, we know that sheep are not particularly smart animals. And all the sheep did to contribute to this is that it got lost. Now, I'm not a shepherd, so, you know, I don't know know sheep intimately. But what I have read is that sheep, when they get lost, will not just wander aimlessly, generally, but they will find a place and just lie down and wait. They don't even, like, look for where to go. They just sort of sit and wait so here comes the shepherd and picks him up and puts him on his shoulder who's doing the work in this parable (laughs) certainly not the sheep the sheep just gets lost and then is there life you know lifeless more or less is waiting it's the shepherd who picks up the sheep and puts him on his back and brings him back rejoicing that he has done it Being found in this sense is synonymous and the parable is synonymous with repentance. This is what the parable is teaching is that the sheep being found is like a sinner who repents. So who's giving that repentance? Is is the sinner mustering up that repentance? Well, not, not the way the parable comes across. The sinner is powerless. It is the shepherd who is is finding, or in other words, granting and giving repentance. Therefore, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Of course, this doesn't make sense in a way because we're like, doesn't everyone need repentance? Yeah, that's the point. Everyone needs to repent. We're fools if we think we haven't gone astray. We're not listening to God's word if we think that we are not in need of repentance. We are in need of it. And there's joy for this one, one sinner who repents. <clears throat> if the lost sheep is not strong enough as far as uh, uh, this, this concept of monergism, God's work versus synergism where we contribute, let's take a look at that second parable. The coin. I mean a coin a coin is not only is it not alive but I mean it's not even it's not even aware that it exists it's totally inanimate and yet the woman scours the house lights a lamp with a broom she's sweeping looking for the coin and when the coin is found what part did the coin contribute to it's to its redemption to its repentance nothing it's inanimate Striking. It is just striking that Jesus gives us these parables to sh- and shows us that He is the one who seeks and saves. <clears throat> I'm going to quote an extended section from Paul's, uh, from, from the Apostle Paul. And you. That's the human contribution. Now let's go on. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what does it mean to be dead? Well, it means to be dead. That's what it means. Just like it says to be dead. You know this, I'm going to continue reading this, but just a little segue there's this analogy that people will say, well, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're out, in the, out in the water and you're drowning and, and you're reaching and there's, there's no way to save yourself. But at the, you know, just at the last minute before you go underwater, God like throws a, a life preserver and you, and you take hold of it. And that's, that's God's work. No, that's also synergism because I took hold of it. No, 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 no. You were fish food. You were at the bottom of the ocean. You didn't even have the wherewithal to grab hold of it. And Jesus sought you out like a shepherd looking for a sheep that has no hope in the world. That's, that's Jesus. That's the God that we worship. The one true God. All right, I return to the text now. <clears throat> and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Don't leave off that last bit, you know. <laughs> because I'm not disparaging good works. I'm not, I mean, of course we should be doing good works. Why? Just, not, just don't say that we're doing the good works to save ourselves. No. No. Don't ever say that. But why do you do good works? Well, it's the same reason you breathe because it's the way you were made. You were made to breathe air, so your body just does it. You don't go to sleep at night saying, gee, I, you know, how am I gonna breathe that night when I'm not thinking about breathing? Don't worry, you, you'll breathe. That's the way you're designed to, do, to, to operate. Well, it's the same thing. You've been given a new heart. You've been claimed by, by God as his beloved child. You've been given a new heart. It will desire to do good works. They're just natural. It's like an apple tree. It doesn't just, it doesn't will itself to produce an apple. It produces an apple because that's what it is, an apple tree. This is what Christians do. But let's not forget that. God prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. So you have all gathered this morning and confessed your sin. You have drawn near just as the tax collectors and sinners drew near. And what Jesus is saying is that he is the one who has drawn you. He has found you, granted you repentance by the word of God. God's law crushes us. That's the purpose of the law, that mirror that we can see ourselves rightly. It shows us our sin. And the gospel then shows you your Savior, Jesus Christ. God, the Holy Spirit, has worked through his means of word and sacrament and brought you to repentance and to the forgiveness of sins. Just like he gave the parable, I put the sheep on my shoulders and I bring it. So put aside all any synergistic notions that you may have. Put aside any delusion that you have to, uh, to muster up enough faith to be saved or to do enough good deeds to outweigh your sin. God has something far greater for you. Jesus Christ himself, the good shepherd that has picked you up, he has laid you on his shoulders, and he is even now carrying you to heaven. As if this this isn't enough, consider for a moment. The angels in heaven, a great multitude in heaven, is overjoyed. They're actually celebrating your salvation, that you've been found. There is celebrating for every single sinner, which is every single person in this room. They are celebrating your great redemption, the multitude looking at you, a sinner, and rejoicing at your repentance and your salvation. To you alone, O Father, be all glory, honor, and worship with the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.